Episode 9 The 2023 Hill Country Comic Con. And welcome back to Creative Credit, a show dedicated to conversations with talent from across the comic book industry. Artists, writers, inkers, letterers, colorists, and more. I'm your host, Chad Bogleman. In this, our ninth episode, we'll be conversing with several smaller indie creators, mostly self-published, that I met during the weekend of March 4th and 5th of 2023 in New Braunfels, Texas, at the Hill Country Comic Con. This is yet another first for the Creative Credit Podcast that is a twofold first. One being a compilation episode featuring multiple talents, and the other being a situation in which I did not go into the interview with an abundance of research and prepared questions. In fact, if this episode does not, outside of intro and outro, sound anything like the previous eight episodes, I wouldn't be surprised. But when speaking with small indie publishers, such cannot be avoided. Since we're in uncharted waters, it wouldn't hurt to give you a bit of the preparation I was unable to give my guests. All of the questions asked are off the top of my head in that moment. I am unfamiliar with these individuals and their bodies of work prior to my conversation with them. So, should you note any awkwardness in my line of questions, or even strange repeated questions, I shall persevere to not edit them out in an effort to preserve reality over a more sterile professionalism. That said, after speaking with each creator, I purchased one issue of their works for sale at their table in an effort to provide some semblance of due diligence and, for lack of an available real word, informedness. So... After each segment interview, which I kept short due to the multiple individuals I spoke with, as well as my limited familiarity with their works, I will provide a short review of the issue I purchased from them, as well as information on where to find them, which differs slightly from my usual process. But, without further ado, I present to you my conversation with the comic book creators at the 2023 Hill Country Comic Con. All right, guys, we're at Hill Country Comic Con uh, day two with uh, Chuck Pino. Chuck, we wanted to talk a bit about what's going on with your current works. I would love to, man, yeah. I have Belial. This is actually, uh, we're on issue three now, and we just kickstarted issue three at the end of last year. So this is my first show with it. Belial is the original creator of Hell, trying to take his domain back from Lucifer and the Four Horsemen. It's uh, an adventure comedy. 
How's Kickstarter been for you? I know a lot of uh, self-published individuals go through like Indiegogo or Kickstarter. How do you end up choosing which one to go through? Is it just based on prior success or, you know, fellow uh, comic book creators telling you where to go or? Um, yeah, a lot of it was just that like at the time when I started, Kickstarter was kind of the, the bigger um, draw. And that's still the case now, really, is that Kickstarter seems to have a better, bigger audience. I, I do think Indiegogo can be a perfectly great place to go to. Just for me, Kickstarter's been so good that why would I leave, right? Like, it's given me no reason to go anywhere else. All right. And how did you come up with the idea for your book? Um, actually, uh, my inker from my previous series came to me with the idea. And he had this really cool idea because he, he's all into the hell stuff and everything. And, and he wanted to go way into it. And so he did all that. And then I was like... All right, that's really cool, but every hell book looks and sounds the same. So I'm going to add a bunch of dick and fart jokes and make it hilarious. And everyone who's enjoyed it so far has just been like, I've never read a hell book like this. And I was like, terrific. That's what we were going for. Where are you headed with this without spoiling anything? So, so for people who have checked it out, seen samples, anything like that, Kickstarter preview pages, anything like that, where, where, where are we going? So it's going to be a four-issue series. So we finished three um basically the idea is in issue one he fought war and so each fight he has to take back some of his power from the different horsemen so first issue was for uh war i almost said horror wow um second issue was uh famine and pestilence third issue he had to deal with um death and now in the final issue it's going to be that big war lucifer versus belial bing bing for all of hell it's the big battle everything that we've been leading up to so super excited about that one coming next year couple of fuller double page spreads maybe oh absolutely yeah yeah i've already got those all written up in my head yeah for a limited series like this especially big action it kind of reminds you of like the lead up to the death of superman <laughs> where like each it was like a couple of panels for each page and then by the last one it's just splash page splash page splash page there's gonna be an awful lot of that yeah <laughs> my my artist is already worried like i he 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 was telling us he's like i'm kind of trying to scale back and i'm like well you're gonna be doing the exact opposite for the last one so i'm just letting you know if we have to, if you have to charge a little bit more for the last book, we get it, and we're fine with that. <laughs> and what about your other works that you have over here? That's good. Thank you for asking. I have my novel, um, Essence House. Well, sorry, I wrote that with the talented Eric Cockrell. It's called Essence House, and actually, we have a. Uh, it came from our audio drama series online called The Chronicles of the Essence Guard, and so we had uh, two seasons. Originally, we were just going to kind of try to test out the audio drama field and see what it was like and as we went into season two i went you know what why don't we give it a hard ending that way we could turn it into a novel and if it's still if people really like it we'll keep going and if not we have a novel and he was like yeah okay and people really dug it we've had i think close to ten thousand downloads all over all the different um podcast sites and whatnot apple amazon all that and so we've got issue one we're on to season four so we're working on the last half of the second book and we already have a third book um with ideas coming up ready to go so it's going so, really well so kind of a combination prose and audio yeah absolutely nice and you also have a, a wonderland book yeah, um, this is from Orange Cone Comics. A good buddy of mine, Travis, Travis Gibb, curates this. It's called uh, Cthulhu Invades Wonderland. And um, we also have Cthulhu Invades Oz. Uh, those hit Kickstarter and did really well. I think they each did like between 25 and 30K a piece. Nice. And now we're working on Cthulhu Invades Neverland. Okay. Yeah. So it's a three-parter. Yes. Nice. Yeah. And where are we, he where are we heading with that one? 
Uh, well, see, you know what? Let me. I don't want to spoil it because it's a trade paperback style type type of book. So let me ask. Rather, what I'm seeing a lot from a lot of indie creators is there's this really big push towards horror for a lot of people. It's a genre that seems to be opening up a little bit more uh, of late, and I I've been loving it. Like, I mean, you've get we're talking about bigger titles. Something is killing the children or uh, homesick pi- uh, homesick pilots. Yeah. Uh, and and a whole bunch of other books, and I see a lot of. I saw the other day a Cthulhu coloring book. Like there's a lot of Eldritch Gods stuff happening. So where's where's all the inspiration coming from? Is it just for your own interest, or is it something else? I mean, I think for us at the very beginning, like if you're going to be completely just everything on the table, Cthulhu and Oz, they're two names that immediately like as soon as people see Cthulhu invades Oz. The pitch is already there. I don't have to tell you anything more about it. But from there, it's like, okay, cool. What cool stuff can we make from this? So what it is, is it's an anthology. Like, I think on the second one, we had about 80 different creators. And so you think, all right, so it's just a bunch of random stories. But it's not. We actually have a timeline of the invasion. And you get to see, and we kind of have worked out um, how these different stories move through the entire invasion from start to ending. So you really get to see what it looks like and how it all goes down. So we started in Oz, and then we're going uh, Wonderland and then Neverland. Are your interpretations these like the traditional kind of Disney style, or are we going the original where there are some pretty horrific things happening within those worlds themselves? We really have to go to the original because you're not allowed to use any of the Disney stuff. So, um, yeah, we really go to the original as much as possible. I think um, we do tend to stay away from the more gory stuff, but the intent is all there. Like, I mean, even for my own stories... Um, it's it's very mental, and that's very much what I see from Cthulhu. Is Cthulhu is such a uh, a mental scary thing? So I think a lot of us really look at it with the Jaws factor, and that is when your your brain will make this way scarier than anything we can draw. So let's do that, and I think a lot of people did that. The, the tone, the color. Using that in the comic, much like Jaws did, the music. You never saw the shark for you for a large portion of it, but you knew he was there, and you didn't need to. Yeah, and that's exactly what's going on here. Perfect, perfect. Uh, so, so it's not a prissy like uh, kind of kid kitty world that it's already enveloped in a little bit of darkness. But then Cthulhu comes, and it's all hell breaks loose. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, imagine seeing these. I mean, Dorothy. Toto, all the you know, all these different characters that you were like, oh, they're fun loving and blah blah blah. Ain't having to deal with the Cthulhu stuff, it's pretty messed up, man. It's a lot of fun. So you said there's a couple seasons of, of the book series, and you're coming up on the third trade of the other one, and then one one more issue for this one. What's on your what's on the horizon for you? You know what, man, sky's the limit, honestly. <laughs> um I'm not a hundred percent sure. Right now my my head is all about finishing uh Belial. Okay. And then from there I have way too many ideas so we'll see where it goes from there so just check on kickstarter and where can people find you on social media to find out what's next you can find me anywhere twitter instagram facebook chuck p-i-n-e-a-u awesome well thanks for taking the time to speak with me dude thank you i really appreciate it i had a good show and that was my conversation with independent comic creator and podcaster chuck pino after speaking with chuck i picked up issue one of his four issue series belial Belial No. 1 from Bonfire Press is written by Chuck with art by Gregory Waronchak, inks by Sean Barbour, letters by Scott Weldon, and edited by Wendy Gale. And forgive me if I'm mispronouncing any of those names. 
The book is presented in all black and white, and though I'm not an artist nor trained in art criticism, I think it's fair to label the art style as a more exaggerated and cartoonish than your usual quote-unquote house-style comic art. Belial is full of comedy and bar fights and a bit of nudity, so keep that in mind if you're searching for a book for your kids. Though why you'd be hunting for child-friendly storytelling in a book set in hell is beyond me. The book picks up its pace very quickly and conveniently, as it should though for a four-issue series where the protagonist needs to take on the Four Horsemen and the Morning Star. But overall did a great job of introducing us to its players and plot. So find more from Chuck by following him over on Twitter at ChuckyPin. That is at C-H-U-C-K-Y-P-I-N. Or listen to the podcast Chronicles of the Essence Guard, wherever you find good podcasts. On to the next conversation. All right, guys, and we are back with Stormy. Stormy, how you doing? Pretty good. So tell us a bit about the books that you brought here today to Hill Country Comic Con. Okay, well, uh, this is Stormy, singer, songwriter, badass. She is a pop star who must fight for her soul and sanity against the forces of darkness when she becomes a target of a voodoo queen. Okay, okay. So lots of magic and music. Magic and music. Okay. Magic, music, and mayhem. Perfect, perfect. So actually, you know what? That leads me into a perfect space. I have been obsessed with music in comic books for the past little while. There's a book out there called uh, Blue and Green or something like that. There's It's about a jazz stuff. Like the way artists can render music in a comic book and the way they can tell stories with music in something as static as a comic image really is just fascinating to me. So tell me a bit about how you interpret music in your in your book. Well, um, let's see. I Basically what I do is I tend to uh, create like a like little music sequences, almost kind of like a, not exactly a music video, but like a, in, let's say for issue one, you know, where Stormy's at a performance, I'll, I'll render her inside, you know, uh, like a coliseum or, or something like that and have like a little lyric bubbles and, and things. And what I do is I try to include a musical interlude or maybe not interlude, but some sort of musical tie-in in each issue. Performance of some kind. Yeah, yeah. And and what I started doing was uh, branching out to singers and songwriters and trying to get them involved. And actually in issue three, uh, there's a woman called Outshine. She is a pop star or a pop artist from uh, Paris. Yeah, and um, it's kind of funny. Uh, like we did a costume. Every year I try to do a costume contest. And uh, she entered it, I think the first year, won it. And part of the prize was to be integrated into the book and as like kind of a special guest. Yeah. And when I found out that she was a musician, I asked her if, hey, can I put maybe put some lyrics and stuff like that in there? And she actually agreed. And, you know, she's you can find her her song basically inside our book. And if you like it, you know, you, there's, I included like a little QR code. They'll if you scan that, it'll take you to her iTunes. You can, you can get the song there. You know? Perfect. Perfect. So. I know that some people who do incorporate the music into the books have like a soundtrack in mind or something like that. What kind of music or what kind of stuff is playing in your head as you're writing this character? Oh, okay. Well, um, let's see. I like uh, Lana Del Rey. 
Um, oh gosh, let me see. Blondie. Oh God, I love Blondie. <laughs> yeah, a lot, lot of Blondie. Uh, Joan Jett. Um, let's see. Uh, oh my God, I, I have. Here. <laughs> I put it in my little special thanks over here. Yeah. Uh, Christina Perry. That's that's who it is. Skylar Gray. Like even Skylar Gray is fantastic. Yes. She's so underrated. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I follow yeah. her on Facebook. Yeah. She, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she appears in a lot of stuff. That she was on um, Parenthood, right? You're. I think so. Yeah. I know that she she contributed. I think it's into uh, Fast and Furious also. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, she's she's all over the place, but she just doesn't get the press that she needs. You know. Yeah, it's one of those like you've heard her voice, you don't know who she is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Now let's talk about the the magic side, the the voodoo side. Oh, okay. Is that incorporated with the music? The two are one and the same, or just so happens to be a musician involved with voodoo type stuff? Well, yeah. See, uh, the I guess the villain of of the story is uh, Crystal Presley. She is the voodoo queen of pop. Okay. Yes, and um, that's kind of her her stick, you know. And uh, she she has a serious axe to grind with Stormy, and it you know it reveals itself as a, as the uh, story plays out. Uh, yeah. And are you all through, or are you still got some more on the horizon oh, no, for this one? I, I definitely have more to go. Um, I wrote this out as a, a twelve issue run. Uh, right now, um, you know, these are the first four issues, and uh, I just turned in the script to my friend Chuck, he's my editor for uh, issue five, and we're going to pick through that and, and start production pretty soon. Okay, perfect, perfect. And where, where are we heading, with, or without spoiling, of course, where, where are we heading? Where's, where's our goals for these upcoming issues? Well, um, let's see. By the end of issue four, we find out that Stormy is not what we think she is, and we are going to spend the next arc kind of exploring her side of her, her nature and um, how how she can integrate that or, or deal with that on top of being in the celebrity spotlight. And then, of course, in the, the last four issues, everything is going to come to a head and, you know, mayhem. <laughs> music, music, voodoo, and mayhem. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Is this your first major work, or do you have other stuff that you've been working on up until this point? Well, let's see. The very, very first uh, dive into comics was uh, like a political satire I did uh, called Once Upon a 2008. Okay. <laughs> a very interesting year. Yes, yes, it was. Um yeah, it was it was fun for me because I'd never done uh, a comic book like long form. It, it was like a 180 page graphic novel, you know, and it was a lot of transitions learning for me because I started with pencil and paper, and then about halfway into the book, I finally got my first tablet. So I had to basically learn how to draw again okay, using yeah. that. Two way different styles. Yeah. Yes, exactly, yeah, yeah. and, and um, you know, had, had to figure that out. And also learn about, I guess, my my political leanings and, and things like that. You know, if you're going to write a political book, you better <laughs> you better come down on one side or the other, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, but um, after that, you know, it was it was just a really great experience figuring all that out. And then um, I got involved with another uh, screenwriter. This is Belial. It's Oh God. 
Peter Gonzalez, he had a, a script for a, uh, a short film he did, and he wanted to expand it into a full-length screenplay, and which he wrote out, but he was having a difficult time sell, selling it as far as visually. So he asked me to come on board and, and turn it into a graphic novel. And that was, that was a really great experience, you know, because I got involved in the... Uh, like learning about the film process and things like that. And it, it also helped steer me into uh, storyboard art, which yeah. is what I do now. I just, okay. And I, so if it's your first entry is graphic novel as opposed to single issue, how is that? That sounds like a very unique entry point to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very massive project to undertake for a, a first timer. So how did, how did, did it feel a little more relaxing to go into single issues as opposed to jumping right into a graphic novel? Well, um, yeah, a little bit, yeah, just because uh, it gave me a chance to kind of breeze between issues and, and figure out what works and what doesn't. Yeah, perfect. But as far as the story-wise, you know, I I went about it the same way I would a graphic novel, just like write it all out as much as I can, so that way I have a blueprint of where I want to go. You know. Just storyboard the whole thing. Yeah, basically. Perfect. So, and you've got all the all twelve issues of Stormy just. Just storyboarded out, huh? Well, uh, I've let's see, the first I, I know I have like uh, the synopsis of each issue written out, you know, in a, in a single page. So after that, it's going to go into the, like the actual scripting process. You know, you know, one thing I hear because it didn't end up happening for me, but growing up, I did want to become a writer of some kind, and a lot of people were like, just just write, don't even. Don't even like worry about the ending and stuff like that. Do you think the same could be said of comics? Like you could you could just start writing and not know where you're ending up by the end of your series, or do you really have to go into it with a plan for everybody out there who wants to self-publish? I I think if well it depends if you're going to go into it with the mindset of am I going to do this as a graphic novel or is it going to be an ongoing series? That's that's the that's the huge uh, difference right there. Yeah, um, I guess I guess. Even if you're going to do like a, an ongoing series, you need to at least generate some sort of idea of what my end game is. You know, if it no, if it's 100 issues from now, my, uh, you know, am I going to end it or 25 or, or wherever? Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I I'm loving what I'm saying here for Storybee. So people want are enjoying this and they are curious about learning more. Where do they find you online and find the books? Okay. Well, uh, you can find her at stormycomic.com. That's my, my online store over there. And also social media, um, pretty much any anything, uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Insta, just stormycomic, one word. And what about just you yourself for all your creations? Well, for me, um, my uh, storyboard art and uh, book covers and things like that is albumartist.com. Okay, well, perfect. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. All right, well, thank you. Thank you. And that was my conversation with independent comic creator Douglas Brown, which is the first time during the segment I've said his actual name. For that, I apologize to Doug and to the listener. At the convention, Doug shared a table with Chuck, and Doug's banner featured nothing but the information for Stormy. And like an idiot, I didn't ask for clarification of his name. But apologies aside, Stormy number one from Doug's album Artist Comics is one hell of a first issue. Everything is done by Doug, and I was absolutely taken by this issue. It's emotional and honest and sweet, and 
Again, I'm not one for accurate art critiques, but there's a lot of talent in Doug's pencils. So much so that the final large panel of the issue reminded me of something a la British comic book artist Gary Frank. But to find more from Douglas Brown, visit stormycomic.com, that's stormy with an I-E, or follow the series on Instagram at stormycomic. On to the next conversation. All right, guys, we are at day two at uh, Hill Country Comic Con, and I'm with Matt, or better known as Matchy. How you doing? Doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Are you having a good show so far? So far, so good. Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, why don't we tell us a, a little bit about your works that you have here for sale today? Well, I'm a cartoonist, so I have a bunch of comic books. I have uh, two main series. Uh, my, my older series is called Planet Slammer. It's about a bounty hunter trapped on a prison planet with all the bad guys that she put away. Okay. Like basically, she got framed. She gets stuck on this planet. And now she has to face off against all everybody that she sent there. So uh, kind of uh, you can't escape unless you defeat everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, she kind of she kind of finds her way along the way. But yeah. Okay. And your other book over here? This one's uh, called Soraya Death Dealer, and it's kind of like a futuristic sword and sorcery kind of thing. Oh, okay. And how far are you into that one? I am three issues into it, and then I'm going to do what I'm working on the fourth issue right now, which is going to wrap up this storyline, and then I'm going to take a break from that and maybe work on a couple other things. Um, yeah, four issues seems like the good, the good number for me. That's that's how many I did on Planet Slammer. So, okay. are these all Kickstarter based or some other crowdfunding? Um, no, I self-publish. I did I did do a Kickstarter for one issue of Planet Slammer, but mostly I've just uh, been promoting it online, and I take pre-orders, and that kind of funds the book, and that's been enough for me. So how did you get your start working with cartooning? Uh, I've just been doing it since I was could draw. Well, been tr- wanted to, learning to draw anyway since I was a kid when I picked up my first comic book. Uh, you never really stop incre- in- increasing your own style and, and yeah. uniqueness, huh? Yeah, for sure. So, so where did the ideas for, for these books come from for you? Were, were you inspired by some of the shows or types of movies you watched growing up? Or where did you kind of pull these inspirations uh plan slammer specifically i i the the situation of her like facing off against all these different bad guys i kind of felt like i wanted to do something that was kind of like um uh inspired by masters of the universe where they have like all these guys with the different gimmicks and stuff like that so i don't know if i quite got there with it but um that was kind of like the impetus behind that i just wanted to have like her just facing off against a bunch of different unique foes that all kind of had their own like little gimmick and then I just kind of really got into Conan and stuff like that for my for Soraya, and so that just kind of I just kind of went off. You know those yeah those those sci-fi adventure books and comics, even like from the bigger publishers. We're talking like Warlord or anything like that. Those are so slept on. Like I, I don't even see them even key issues like first appearance of a Warlord or whatever. Don't even go for that much money. So the the fact that the fact that people sleep on it, there's so much lore and creativity and just unique art that comes out of those. Like the Mike Grell. For instance, you know, he did a lot of sword and sorcery stuff, and then he got to like Green Arrow and things like that, and got to really blow up. So, like, I really love the people who take time to dive into the worlds that they love, like yourself. Yeah, I mean, Warlord specifically—that's a great one. I I find those in dollar bins all the time. I have a huge—I have, I have grown my collection of those, and um, yeah, and like Conan, it's kind of, there's a there's a good collector's market around Conan, but I mean, like all that old John Buscema, 
um, Barry Windsor Smith, all that stuff. That's I love. I eat that up. So, so even though you're more of a cartoon, cartoonist type style, are those some of the, the individuals you draw your inspiration from? Yeah, yeah. I mean, initially, I was I was grew up with, like with when the Image era and stuff like that. So like guys like Eric Larson, Todd McFarlane, those guys, and then later Mike Allred. And Mike Allred's probably one of the bigger influences on me. That's why my stuff's a little more cartoony yeah. or more like that thick the thick brush line kind of look. So. For sure. Yeah, no. I was thinking the other day, uh, I I didn't I don't have, uh, and sorry to get off topic, but I was just, it popped into my mind. I was thinking the other day, my DC collection doesn't have like enough Aryan Lord of Atlantis in it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to get more sword and sorcery in my life. So uh, I, I see that you've uh, been doing some, are these some of the characters from your book here, the stickers that you have here? No, these are just designs. It's kind of a, to help supplement the booth. Oh, okay. Sell, sell gotcha. Some stickers. Gotcha. Are you going to be coming out with a trade paperback for for the Slammer, the Planet Slammer book? Uh, yeah, because it's it's done. So yeah, I've just kind of just been trying to figure out the the financial angle on that versus carrying around all these books. So. How did you uh, how did you make the leap? You said you've been drawing all your life. How did you make the leap from just being something that you love to turning it into a career for yourself? Because I know I've through doing what I do with podcasting, I've interviewed enough people to know everybody's story about how they get into this career is wholly there's it's like when one person goes through a specific doorway, that doorway closes and that pathway into the comics industry is not the same for anybody else. So how is it like for you? Yeah, I've heard that breaking in is like <laughs> yeah everybody's got their own their own story there's no one way um i'm i'm still i think i'm still on my way yeah. this is not my full-time job um but i'm i'm a, i'm a graphic designer so okay. that's i i kind of got into art because of comic books and then i kind of found my way into being a graphic designer and that kind of fed my way back into it because now i i know how to like you know put books together and stuff like that so i kind of just do everything and once I figured out I could do everything, that's when I was like, okay, well, I can start putting out these books. I don't need to rely on anybody else you yes. know, to do that. So it's a labor of love, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. For sure. And you found a way to get paid to do something you love anyways with your day job in yeah, terms of yeah. graphic designing. Yeah, and, and it helps feed your, your practice. Yeah, and, and this, like, now I'm at least at a point where, like, um, the books pay to make more books. So I can just keep, you know. There you go. As long as you're not, you know, going in the red for everything that you do, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not like I'm, like, you know going broke doing this <laughs> yet no for sure i i i appreciate it there's there's a there's a special type of tenacity and, and grind that happens with a lot of indie, especially indie stuff because i was talking to some other creators earlier even people who are published by like boom or scout or some of those other uh smaller but you know bigger named indie indie publishers it's not like those publishers have a big marketing budget. So even those creators are kind of left to their own devices in terms of pushing themselves and getting their books out there. So just the fact that you have a booth at a convention is already you're hustling above and beyond some people because some people just go Kickstarter and that's it. And there's really not much of a presence, but you're really out here pushing your stuff for them. What's the kind of, uh, I know we kind of spoke about it a little bit at the beginning. What's the, sort of the... Uh, the the elevator pitch besides the, the the breakdown that you gave me earlier for your individual books to help pe bring people into them. I uh, the the Planet Slammer one is what I gave you. It's, yeah, uh, you know, um, bounty hunter trapped on a prison planet with the, with the bad guys you put there. That's that's I almost kind of like built it around that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, you got it. You, you got to if you're going to market yourself, you have to be able. Okay, people are walking yeah. by the booth. How do I get them for the, like the five seconds they're paying attention until they move yeah, on I mean, to the next I, thing? I mean, I wrote it on the back of the book. 
I think the first issue I wrote on the front of the book, just so even <laughs> if people are just looking at it, they got it. Because I that's that's what I I think that's really important. And then of course I shot myself in the foot with Soraya because I kind of just started doing that one just as like a side kind of thing, and I didn't really think about the marketing of it. So I don't really have a really great elevator pitch <laughs> for that, other than if you like Conan and you like kind of like Masters of the Universe a little bit, and you like futuristic sci-fi, you know, it, it's it's more than an elevator pitch, but yeah. Awesome. Well, where can, people, <laughs> where can people find your books if they're looking for them? Matchy.com. M-A-T-T-C-H-E-E.com. Okay. And uh, social media is the same? Yep. You can find all my social media there. And uh, yeah, awesome. that's the best place to find me. Well, perfect. Thanks for taking the time to find right. me. Thank you. Yes, sir. And that was my conversation with independent comic creator, Matchy. From him, I purchased issue one of Planet Slammer and gave it a read. This colorful little narrative is precisely what Matt described it as. His art style is fun and cartoony, which lends to his alien designs for this book. There's comedy and sarcasm and lots of punches to be thrown, but this exciting, quick little read definitely leaves you curious for more, as all good books should. So to find more from him, visit MattChi.com and follow his links to his social media or sample his art. On to the next conversation. All right, again, we are at day two of Hill Country Comic Con, and I am with Joe and Roy. Nice to see you guys. Hey, how's it going? Awesome. Thanks for coming and seeing us, man. It's been a great con. It has been a good con so far. So I wanted to talk to you guys both. You're both the partners, actually, on How to Hunt a Hero. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, well, tell us a bit about that book. Um, basically, this is a story about Ava. She's our main character, a very strong, very sharp female who hunts cryptids, or is more commonly known as Bigfoot, Sasquatch, those kind of legendary monsters. But what she does, our premise is that she hunts them and basically harnesses their abilities and takes them and imbues them with a love interest of her secretly. He has no idea. He ends up becoming our first superhero in our world. She continues to hunt all the cryptids, all these monsters, until basically there's no more left to hunt. And... At that point, she's like, well, what's my next challenge? What's my next conquest? It's the first superhero in our world. So she decides to hunt Joe. And that's basically our story. That's her origin right there. Yeah, so, I mean, we've been working on that since college. Um, we have that one. We also have our other comic called Malia Mayhem, which is our all-ages title. Uh, that one me and my wife put together. and We have a professional comic artist working on it. Basically, Malia jumps to different worlds that represent different tabletop games. And she's trying to stop a mischievous creature called Troll from messing up the games. So this one's very kid-friendly. The, the comic we brought today kind of shows how that one was made. So a lot of people have been very interested in that because they want to see how a comic book has been made. It feels a little bit from both those pitches like it's uh, the little of both of them are sort of, sort of sword and sorcery. But a little bit of supernatural just sort of mixed in. Is there more of a, I mean, I know it's uh, Malia Mayhem is meant for kids, but is there a little more of a horror bent for hunt, How to Hunt a Hero? Actually, this, for me, I'm, I've always been a big enthusiast of, like, the, the cryptids themselves. And I really, when we pitched this idea, when we kind of talked about this idea, me and Joe, I wanted to do something that would keep me interested purely for the love of the of the project. Yeah. And I, I wanted to blend that and make that something that we could continue. And actually, the story started off completely differently. Joe was actually the main character at one point. The book was actually called Average Joe for a long time. And then after kind of revisiting that whole uh, cryptid idea, 
I was like, well, both of us, we were like, well, what if we turn this and make it about her? Which ended up just being more interesting and her hunt of these characters, which I study and watch tons of videos about. So I'm totally into it. Um, so it just kind of evolved into this new, I think, better idea. And it was just more fun to just talk about and, and create. And yeah, so we just bounce those ideas off each other. And Joe's really good about like, he reels me in on some things. I'm like, we can do this, we can do that. But it, I think it's really helped it evolve into what it is today. And I, I'm absolutely proud of the project. Yeah, for sure. I mean, regardless of the projects we work on, you know, we've known each other for so long. It's it's easy to collaborate and, you know, nobody's feeling gets hurt. Like, I don't know about that. You know, let's try this. And so that's that's what you need. You know, that you need somebody you can trust. And obviously him and I trust each other. And that's I think is what makes our partnership work so well. No, 100 percent. And I've I've talked from creators all the way from Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams down to obviously local publishers and stuff like that. And it's you never want somebody on either side. If it's, if the original idea is the artist, and then the, you bring in a writer or a reverse, you never want someone who's just going to go along with you for the because nine times you were just talking about it. Nine times out of ten, the idea isn't there yet. It's not finished. It's not fully realized yet. And there might be a way to look at it that you hadn't considered before, like switching up the your main characters. For sure. Right, right. And like I said, it was just kind of a thing we. We've been trying this since college. We tried it as a webcomic. We tried it as almost a Sunday morning strip. We tried it as looking at powerhouse animation that does Masters of the Universe, pitching it to them, you know, getting a sponsor like Dr. Pepper, trying to find ways to make this basically a passion project uh, come to life. And we both have normal nine to fives, you know, we both work. So it was something we wanted to do uh, realistically. It's taken a lot of research. Joe has honestly carried a lot of the weight as far as the research, getting the publisher for it. I'm sorry, getting the printer for it, excuse me, we, we do publish under him, um, but just kind of, he does all the behind the scenes stuff, all the logistics of it uh, on top of his writing creative, like just amazing stuff, lots of great ideas, love hearing it, I always send him ideas to, I'm like, here Joe, write about this, and then he's like, okay, well, hold on, but uh, but it's great, yeah, we, we work really well, um, like I said, known each other since college, so it works, it works. No, I'm with you 100%, I'm like that with a podcast, like, I was talking to you about the Green Lantern podcast I do. There, my my co-host must hate me. I swear because there are times where I'm like, oh, we should do an episode about that, and then I'll think about it. It's like, oh, we could also do an episode about, and then like at ten o'clock at night, he's gonna get a message from me on Facebook. It's like we should have an episode of this, 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 and this. What do you think? And he's like, I'm just now going to bed. What do you want? <laughs> oh yeah, I have a special Google Doc folder specifically for Roy's ideas because I'm like, I'm not gonna remember this in the morning when I'm conscious. You know, now that you're. You know, because I have a two-year-old, so when he's wide awake, I'm already asleep. So, uh, my nephew's two and my niece is one. I feel you. I babysit them quite frequently. <laughs> uh, let's talk about a bit about how the the whole imprint, I guess we could call it, an imprint publishing line, Child's Play Comics. How did that all come to light? I know, I I, I know the answer a little bit, but I want you to pitch it a little bit. Sure. So, so me and my wife. Um, so, Child's is her last name. So. We originally had a comic and game shop here in town, so it was called Child's Play Games and Geekery. Uh, we ran that for about four years, but like Roy's mentioned, we do have our day jobs. I almost killed myself doing both, and so basically we had to sell the shop, but we kept the name and we just morphed it into Child's Play Comics. Um, and from there, I've learned a lot from a lot of people in the indie comic scene. Thankfully, we have a lot of local creators here that have been willing to help and give advice. Um, and I think you've Chuck, talked to Chuck Pino here, right? Yeah. yeah. He he's he's my indie indie comic godfather. Like I, I go to him for everything uh, and anything that I need. And 
Yeah, it's just been, like you said, research, uh, finding Facebook groups online to do comics and like other creators reaching out to help. I mean, nowadays with social media and whatnot, when you use, uh, find a way to use it positively, you can actually make some really good connections that I found. I found that through podcasting. The amount of people who just say yes when you tweet, can I interview you? Here's my show. Here's my idea. Here's the thought. And they're just like, yes. It's so much easier than trying to search online and find the publisher. Who's the PR person? What's their current email? It's ridiculous. So that's cool. How about yourself? How did you get started with uh, with the team? Um, wow, like I said, we've just known each other for years. A funny story. Met in college. I saw he was wearing a Babylon 5 shirt. I said, hey, what's that show about? And then we just hit it off. It was just random. And then ever since, little by little, we just started... I mean, we would just talk, and hey, eventually the, the idea came, like, let's do a comic book. And okay, and so like I said, ever since, we've just been kind of making it as we go along, uh, just creating it as we go along. Um, but it was kind of neat to see him uh, realize his dream, get to see the store and all that. I actually helped paint the sign on the store and everything like that, and kind of just help wherever I could, um, just support uh, support them. And they've supported me just as much. So it's been, it's kind of it's kind of neat. It's been a very... Um, I don't know what the right word is. I don't want to say reciprocal, but in, in a sense, it has been. It's like symbiotic. Symbiotic. Thank you. Yes. I'm not sure which one of us is Venom, but <laughs> but yeah, definitely that. And so, yeah, we've just always been there for each other, not only through life, uh, but in something creative. And it's it's really neat to see something like this, a dream realized. And we, you know, it's always scary. You get out there like, are we going to do this? Are we going to do this? Let's try. And based on this convention, it's been great. Um, yeah, people are showing interest, and, and hopefully, you know, we go take the next step from there, and I don't know, Kickstarter or something, and and keep going, get the dream going, for sure. And both of these are issue ones out so far, or previews, right? So we have issue twos and full series coming through Kickstarter projects and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So both these projects we mentioned, we do have preview issues of both. For we do have a zero issue that sets up the world of How to Hunt a Hero. Uh, it's all available at our website. Uh, ChildsPlayComics.com. Uh, so yeah, eventually we're gonna get each of them on Kickstarter. Uh, we're gonna bring them complete to Kickstarter since we're the new kids on the block. Yeah. So that way we're essentially just taking pre-orders and nobody has to worry about if a book's gonna be finished with us. So we want to be reliable from the start. Awesome. And uh, I was looking at some of the art that you have available here. Not only do you have the books that you're working on, but I see a lot of really detailed turtles prints over here. So um, I do also do, uh, I love Ninja Turtles, it's my bread and butter, like it's whenever I warm up for any kind of artwork, I start off with Ninja Turtles, I grew up with it, absolutely love it. Um, big influences were Peter Laird and, and Kevin Eastman, uh, just reading their books and stuff, but uh, the stuff you see here, the really good stuff here is actually, if I can plug him, Eddie Nunez, uh, he actually works for Powerhouse Animation, he's working on the Masters of the Universe series, we just commissioned him for a cover, for our next cover, so we're really excited, we want to show people what's coming you know we have another potential i'm pretty sure we're locked in uh terry parr who is another really big uh, i think in the indie comic industry uh, artist uh he's going to be doing a cover for us and we're trying for other people big names like red booth hopefully you know we're trying so we want to get those um out there because it does show us i know as a collector of comic books sometimes i collect it purely for the cover i do it um but you get a great story with this as well so yeah we wanted to show that and uh, i just want to kind of show people what else i could do um everything everything pop culture basically anything i love i draw it no i'm, I'm with you i try not to because i want to actually buy for the story but for instance like dc's ongoing nightwing series right now i have regularly been paying a dollar extra so i can have the jamal campbell variants 
Exactly. You get it. You get it. And that's the way I am, too. I love the story, too. But for me as an artist, I I don't know. that I just like the art. I love the art. J. Scott Campbell, Jim Lee, all the guys basically from Image were like huge influences. But it goes back beyond that, like Dan Jurgens and stuff like that. I mean, there's nobody that draws Superman. Daryl Banks. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, so you're going to you're going to pay a little extra. And I'm kind of that's kind of what we're hoping with this to not only boost the, the book, but they they will see that it is a good story. We've thought about this. We've we've pitched it back and forth. I think we've kind of sharpened it to a razor's edge to where now I think it's 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 good to go. We're, we're ready. We can do this. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Ready to go. All right. So people want to support the books. I know the Kickstarter isn't live just yet. So where do they find out more information to know when the Kickstarter goes live? All that stuff. So yeah, you can you can follow us at our website at childsplaycomics.com, uh, howtohuntahero.com will take you to the same place. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, all the links are there. Uh, I try to keep everything updated as much as possible to the chagrin of my wife who thinks I'm on social media too much. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we're, uh, and we're pretty approachable. If you shoot us a message, you know we'll probably answer you very quickly. And, you know, we just want to we want to be there for people who have shown interest in the book. So awesome. Well, thank you guys for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. My first interview. (laughs) (laughs) And that was my conversation with independent comic creators Roy Gonzalez and Joe Solis. From them, I purchased the preview issue for Child's Play Comics new book, How to Hunt a Hero. This book about a cryptid hunter is an exciting and fast paced little book with some fantastic character designs. As it's only a preview, I can't really speak much for the story of the full first issue, but the passion behind both Joe and Roy leaves you just as excited for the upcoming first full issue as the preview itself. So find more from them over on childsplaycomics.com, as well as an opportunity to purchase a digital copy of this preview issue for only a dollar. On to our final conversation. All right, guys, it is the final day of Hill Country Comic Con here in New Braunfels, Texas, and I'm with the guys who run and started this show, Vo and Brian. Nice to see you guys. Hey, thank you so much. Thank Thanks you so for much. having us on. Yeah, I wanted to give you guys a bit to talk about the show. This is not its first year, uh, but it has definitely evolved into an event. So just tell us about how it started and, and where it's going to go from here. Well, I'd have to say uh, it, it started uh, about four or five, about five or six years ago. Uh, we just had um, we've had run several shows uh, in Austin, and this one was a natural fit uh, for uh, nestled between San Antonio and Austin. New Braunfels is a great city, um, and we decided that um, the reason why we wanted to throw a show here in New Braunfels and created what we have done is something behind family community and also to educate and you know inspire kids to kind of pursue their passion you know a lot of the kid, younger kids they don't get to say things or do things pursue what they want to do a lot of them are usually kind of okay you got to do this you got to do this this and it might not be what they really want so we want to open the doors for them and their imagination just let them run wild basically so um this was created five or six years ago, and Brian and I, our business partner, Momo, before, wanted to, we all have kids, except for Brian here, he just wants to <laughs> tag along. I'm a big kid. I'm really, I'm a big kid. <laughs> but yeah, that's the main reason why we wanted to, again, let the voice be heard. That's when we bring a lot of voice actors into the show. And, and this is what, what I was 
breaching on earlier, this is nestled between two large cities, uh, and it's a community that's bustling and growing. And so uh, we wanted to offer up a chance to, to have a little bit of what some of the bigger cities have uh, without having to go to Austin or San Antonio. And it's, um, the, the communities really come out to support us. They can embrace this as their own, their own show. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a part of them. And that's what we've loved about this. Yeah, as somebody who was born and raised in Austin, I'm well aware that it's already pretty serviced up there. And there's way too much people, taxes, rental costs, like all that stuff has got to be through the roof. So servicing the areas in between that are growing like weeds. I born and raised. I live in Kyle now because (laughs) I got kicked out of my own city price wise. So, uh, Bo, I wanted to talk a bit. I'm not sure about your background, Brian, but Bo, I know you used to go to conventions and have your own booth and stuff like that. So what lessons have you learned from being an exhibitor versus running your own show? The reason why, another reason why I run and throw shows is because I want to give back to the con community and my fellow con vendors. Uh, As an artist that started off you know, vending at shows, drawing. I know how hard it is to come to the show, pack up, and pay for tables, pay for hotels, etc. All these bills add up, and you're pursuing your passion. And the reason why I create an environment that we we have put on is, you know, take care of the vendors, take care of the artists, because they're the ones that are pursuing their passion. And that means a lot to me. So we can, if there's any way we can help regarding to provide like donuts in the morning uh drinks or anything like that to make make them feel like they're at home taken care of and feel special that's what i'm gonna do i was was, was standing in line for some of the tmnt stuff to get at signs and stuff just stuff like that but i noticed the relationship a lot of those celebrities had with just their i guess handlers or security team or whatever it was very first name basis and smiling and joking and having a good time and just walking around the con, and yes, it's a smaller con, but there's gaming, there's obviously the vendors, there's a whole kids section, there's a whole cosplay alley, like it's fantastic. Yeah, and um, you were talking on a uh, first name basis, and it's like we bring in uh, a security team that's top notch, yeah. and you know they know a lot of them personally already yeah. from many shows, uh, 20 plus years of experience in, yeah. with that group. Uh, the handlers, the handlers are, are very seasoned people that are entrusted to make sure that the experience interactions with celebrities and the attendees is a smooth one. Yeah. Uh, so so they, they know what they're doing. They've done it for a while. And uh, so that helps the celebrity experience uh, be top notch mm-hmm. and then also makes for a better attendee experience because uh-huh. the celebrities having fun. Yeah. And he was talking about the, the vendors and the artists are uh, taken care of. Mm-hmm. So that translates to happier vendors and artists, which means happier interactions with the attendees. And so it's a, it's a great experience all around. Yeah, and hopefully growth, because yeah. if these people like working with you before, they'll come back for the next year and get bigger and bigger. Speaking of get, getting bigger and bigger, big line out the door yesterday. So you guys are kind of victims of your own success in a, in a bit of a way. So how are we? How, what are we learning moving forward for each successive year? Um, I mean, we we learn all the time. Yeah, I mean, this never gonna you're never gonna be stand pat. Yeah, and we're always trying to grow, trying to improve. Yeah. Uh, we learned a lot from yesterday. Of course. Um, you know, we have. A unique uh, audience that we bring into these shows. A lot of new families, never been to Comic Cons and things like that. Um, yesterday, what we we experienced is a huge collector crowd coming out. You were part of it. Yeah. Uh, so collector crowd came out, and uh, you know they were there right at the beginning, getting everything signed and all that stuff. And so um, we just le- we're we're going to learn to balance the two yeah and so that's one thing that we're going to work on for for the next year and the years past 
you know, catering a, a guest list that will bring the collectors mm -hmm. and activities that will bring the audience and the attendees and, uh, you know, just a good balance of, of both. Perfect. Yeah, yesterday we had to learn how to pivot. And even <laughs> individuals that have been seasoned 20 plus years, yeah. there was a lot of things like, you know, weather delays, flight, no, weather delays oh, yeah. and stuff like yeah. that that caused a few of our attendees. The, the guy from yeah. Sandlot, right? Yeah, Sandlot to have yeah, to cancel. Tom, Tom, Tom yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and then <laughs> Rob, who's, um, yeah, Rob and Maurice, some of the main actors that um, from our cast this year of the Turtles, they were delayed and we had to pivot. We, and then the lines were insane. It's like, you know, the way I look at it is like the first year we had the first ever X-Men animated series yeah. come and they brought in a crowd. Of this course. year, we didn't know what to expect when it came to the turtles. Yeah. There's turtle mania out there oh, yeah. and people came in like yesterday where there was lines wrapped around the building almost the entire day. Yeah. And then we, you know, we have to come out there, give them water. We have to, you know, again, we're not perfect. We're trying to learn with the show and grow with the show. And that yesterday was a great learning experience. Yeah. It humbled us, but it also showed that people are very inspired and they're all kids at heart and they yeah. come out as collectors fans and you know uh, dads with their kids and yeah. stuff like that so it was just it was a learning experience yeah, no 100 100 learning and, experience you know you know me i interact with all the comic book creators and everybody i love talking to those people they all love you man so whatever you do you guys are doing keep it up both of you. Oh, thank you so much. Of course. And uh, what, what, what can we look forward to next year? I know it's a little too early <laughs> book people and stuff like that, but where are we going next year? Anything you can pitch, whatever. Just think of it as it's always going to be personable. It's yeah. always going to be family friendly. It's always going to have something that's going to, you know, inspire kids. And this every year we have a big cast reunion from like, you know, X-Men the first year, first ever. We had Avatar. And then we have Scooby down here. This year we have the Turtles. Yeah. Next year be open to something new, mm -hmm. freshing that is from a, a cartoon that you love when you grow up. Yeah. Grew up. Denver the Last Dinosaur, maybe? <laughs> Nobody remembers that show but me. So, so, so what we try to do is we try to look ahead in the future yeah. and see, you know, what what what's being planned. Yeah. And, and you know, try to try to capture the nostalgia and what's current. Yeah. You know, and we try to meld the two. Course. And and we just make sure that it's relevant for all ages, Perfect. and it's a it's a what you'll see is it's a wide variety of of, of guests that we bring in. Yeah, uh, it's not just all one, all this or that. Yeah. we try to try to bring in a variety. Of course. All right. And if people want to figure out and pre-purchase tickets next year and stuff like that, where do they find you guys online? Well, we are on socials, and we also have our website. It's hillcountrycomiccon.com. Or hillcountrycc.com. That'll a little shorten up. It'll it'll direct you to it. Uh, and you know, you we have links to our social medias. Uh, we're going to make the announcements about next year's dates pretty soon. Okay. And then we're going to uh, then start saying, hey, you know, tables are open for the vendors. They sell out quick. So yeah. if you're a vendor, you know, please, you know, get that done soon. Yeah. Um, and then we'll announce tickets, and then we'll start doing doing guests. Awesome. Yeah. In addition, you can probably find us around all across Central Texas because. We we're on the ground. We go out there promoting at different events and anything that you're from cons to local community uh, events. We're out there. Perfect. Well, thanks for taking the time, guys. Thank, Thank you. you guys. I appreciate your time. And that was my conversation with the showrunners for Hill Country Comic Con, Vo and Brian.
This was my first time interviewing event runners for a convention, but I figured with a smaller local convention like this, it was an important opportunity to check in with a pair of guys who aren't new to this, but are still relatively fresh in this space. Capturing a moment of continuing growth, as well as catching up with my friend Vo, was a good way to end our conversations from the convention. I wish both of them luck moving forward and hope to see them in the last weekend of June at the Greater Austin Comic Con. Overall, the convention was a little more than you'd expect of a local convention. While nothing was particularly surprising to see, the amount of variety comfortably fit into that convention space was a little awe-inspiring. From the food vendors, to the competitive gaming, to the comic artists, to the celebrity guests, to the cosplay alley, to the kids area, you could clearly tell that the space was arranged as thoughtfully as possible to give attendees a little bit of everything. Thanks again to my guests Chuck, Douglas, Matchy, Roy, Joe, Brian, and Vo. We did it. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow the show, you can follow it on Twitter at creativecredit underscore. You can also send an email to the new dedicated podcast email at creativecreditpod at gmail.com. And now I'm proud to say that you can find Creative Credit over on Spotify. So until next time, remember, Marvel or DC, television or film, print or digital, we're all comic fans. And as Frank Herbert once said, Deep in the human unconscious is a pervasive need for a logical universe that makes sense. But the real universe is always one step behind logic. Mm-hmm.